This is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm not here with my co-host Lee. I'm Lee, and I'm not here with the co-host Peter. Fun for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> what do you look like, Ivor? Yeah. <laughs> I know what you look like. What do you smell like? I don't remember. You'll you'll be smelling me soon enough in our brand new studio. All right. <clears throat> I, I hope. As soon as social distancing is done. I've been using the social... Di- I mentioned this before. I've been using the uh, the socially distant time to finally rearrange the studio where we normally record in person. I'm excited. For podcast purposes and also live streaming purposes and also other purposes that are secrets? Question mark? That everyone will know about soon enough. So you're joining us for a major disaster brought to you by Lee. And I'm super looking forward to this one because I think it's going to be a... It's going to be an interesting one. Just before we get started, I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping like I always do. If you're new here, welcome. Hi. If you want to get the full picture, we don't really do inside jokes, but we do reference previous episodes sometimes. So if you want to get like the full long view of the whole thing that we're talking about, I recommend you start back at the beginning with episode number one and binge the show and then you'll be fully in the know. That's right. If you do that and you enjoy what you heard, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell a friend to listen or tell anyone to listen. Or if you want, tell everyone to listen in our ongoing contest at the moment. Contest? It's more like a draw. So if you tell people to listen to our podcast in a public way on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook and tag us at this disaster pod, we'll enter your name in a raffle that we'll do at the beginning of September to be eligible for some cool merch. What could they win, Pete? Well, it'll probably be a super limited edition shirt in a limited edition color and a limited edition print on it. Awesome. Yeah. Limited edition print color. Sure, I'm going to enter it. You're going to enter it secretly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, You know I can see who it is that's tagging us, right? I'll just use a different name, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, maybe if you ask nicely. No, no, it's going to be a one-off. So even if you ask nicely, I'm not going to give you one. There's going to oh, be one. Okay. There's going to be one of whatever's in this, whatever's in this like giveaway. So yeah. if you win, you're getting the one that exists. So, Collector's item. Boom. Yeah, exactly. So just tell the world to listen to us on social media and tag us, and uh, it could be yours. So that runs until the end of August, August 31st, and then uh, we'll do the draw at the beginning of September, and then we'll let you know who won. Yeah. The next best thing you can do to help us out is subscribe if you aren't already and leave a rating or review. Probably Apple Podcast is the best place to do that still. If you like what you hear, you can, like I mentioned, follow us on social medias at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find everything in one convenient place on our website, thisdisasterpod.com. And you can also check out our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod, where we have tons of bonus content, including micro disasters that come out every two weeks. You have access to our live streams when we do our major disasters and lots of other goodies. So check that out. And without further me talking, I'm going to hand it over to Lee. Okay. This is one, uh, actually, Peter passed this, uh, this one on to me. So um, it's going to be interesting. This is another uh, installment in the 60s Folkies Gone Wrong <laughs> series. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were talking before we got started about how that happened. I think I found like an article online somewhere. Yeah. And it said, uh, you, you'll never believe what happened to this 60s folk musician. And I'm like, I'm going to stop right there. All right. I'm going to send it to Lee and he's <laughs> going to tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah. Hot potato over to me. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about Mel Lyman. Never heard of him. The greatest man in the world and not troubled by it in the least. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear about it. <laughs> yeah. So this one I found, it's this one's kind of more about the journey than the destination. Okay. Uh, it, 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 as many things in life do, kind of peters yeah. out. 
Right. Uh, but I don't know, I'll let you and the listeners be the judge of that. Anyway, let's get no get offense it. taken. <laughs> um, I know it's an expression. Offense, uh, intended. <laughs> intended. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, okay. So, Peter. Yes. It's a rare honor mm-hmm. to be considered the foremost washtub bassist in the world. Okay. Wouldn't you say? I'll take your word for it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> as far as Fritz Richmond's peers were concerned, he was it. <laughs> okay. <shred> that thing. <laughs> okay. Is that something to be proud of? <laughs> My friends say I'm the best at this instrument nobody's ever heard. <laughs> for, for, you know, for a certain sub, sub, sub section of musicians, I guess it is. You know, <laughs> you know what? You do you. Fly your flag. Exactly. There's, there's something for everyone. Mm-hmm. We're going to find that out. Okay. <laughs> so Fritz Richmond, Fritz Richmond was the focal point of the Harvard folk scene circa 1961, making the rounds of the Boston coffee houses with his band, the Hoppers. Hmm. Fritz and the Hoppers. Fritz and the Hoppers. Exactly. And Fritz mm-hmm. and the Hoppers played a traditional bluegrass style of folk, mm-hmm. including all the old timey bells and whistles you could hope for. Please tell me there's a washboard. Thimbles on a washboard. Yes. Yeah. You said it. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You got the washboard. You got some dude blowing his lungs out into a jug. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me there's like a one suspended overall guy. With if like one not, tooth. I want my money back. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and then of course you had old Fritz on the washtub base just making that thing her. That's pretty cool, actually. I've always had a lot of admiration. I can now, now that you tell, now that you've described what a washtub bass is. Yeah, a little more context. I was always like, how do you, how do you play that? Yeah, it seems like just something a child would put together, but you know. I've already doubled my respect for him, so cool. <laughs> Not that I disrespected him, but I was just, initially it's like, he's the foremost washtub bassist. Oh, okay. Okay, what's that? Now, now. he's a badass. Now I got your attention. So this particular throwback brand of music, relatively unknown in the early days of folk, would catch the interest of many at Northern University, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts, including one Jim Queskin, a frequent New England coffeehouse attendee. Mm -hmm. So it didn't take long for Queskin to pick up the ball and run with it, soon himself becoming a respected player within the community. Initially faring a little better with the local folkies than newcomer Bob Dylan. Okay. Yeah. At first. Well, yeah, I guess we know how that ended. And then and then completely not. Yeah. Because <laughs> you heard of one and not the other. I think you know this about me, but there's a bunch of musicians that bleed together for me. Uh-huh. Like I couldn't, I don't think I could, I wouldn't be confident naming a Dylan song. One Dylan song? Yeah. I don't like. Name one. Do your best. Freebird. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. No, no, no. no. Okay. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to do some research. That's awesome. No, don't change. Okay. Don't. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Okay. So one particular gig at the Boston. <laughs> Sorry. Freebird. <laughs> David. One particular gig at the Boston church mm-hmm. caught the ear of Maynard Solomon, president of mm-hmm. Vanguard Records. Have we talked about Vanguard Records? No, I don't think so. Okay. It sounds familiar for some reason. It used to be a jazz label, and then they sort of pivoted to folky stuff, like real kind of protest kind of stuff. Okay. Like actually favoring like people who are blacklisted. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, respect to them. 
Yeah, there you go. So they gave yeah. people like that a voice. So Solomon asked if Quest would be interested in making an album with the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Questkin replied that there was no band. Okay. Uh, as he had simply been jamming with whoever happened to be at the show that night. But oh. if given three months, he could put one together. Mm-hmm. And who better to have in your jug band than the foremost washtub bassist in the world? I think I know who that might be. I think you know. I think it's Fritz Richmond. That's for, I knew it. I knew yeah. it. I knew you were going to say that. So Fritz is in. In like Fritz. In like Fritz. A few more members rounded out of the group, except for the missing banjo player. Hmm. You need a banjo player. You need a banjo player for that jug band. Hmm. It's like rock band with no guitar. Mm-hmm. So after trying out several local pickers, Queskin landed on Mel Lyman, based mainly on his musical ability. So just going to breeze through pickers? Saying it like we know that that's the slang for banjo player. Don't we? <laughs> just look at their bunch of pickers, you know, oh, and then yeah. just uh, look for the best one. I tell you, I'm looking for pickers. I got pickers <laughs> on the brain. God. But I need the best. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's where Mel comes in. Okay. Oh, now we're talking about Mel. Gotcha. Now we're talking about Mel. Okay. Questkin claims that he hired Mel Lyman rather blindly, that he liked him, but also thought he was pretty weird mm-hmm. and knew nothing about him mm-hmm. other than he was into astrology and macrobiotic food. Okay. Yeah. Probably carries a jug of kombucha wherever he goes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No doubt. No doubt. Not ragging on kombucha drinkers. Drink what you want. Oh, yeah. But just painting a picture. Yeah. Yeah. Drink your mushroom. Yeah. I tried it once. It was gross. Fungus tea. Ugh. After some preparation, Jim Queskin and the jug band mm-hmm. was formed. Did they, did they call themselves the jug band? They call themselves Jim Queskin. And the joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. You know what you're getting. Once they had enough of a repertoire together, they contacted Solomon, who brought them to mm. New York City and booked them into several clubs and TV spots. Okay. One such appearance proved to be very fortuitous for the band, that being an appearance on the Steve Allen show, whereupon the band jammed with Allen and special guest of the night, Johnny Carson. Oh. So. Wait. You get. They jammed with Johnny Carson? Yeah, it's like impromptu kind of, okay. you know, late night where it's like, hey, come join us with the band. Yeah. And, you know, the, okay, cool. I didn't know that he was a musician. I don't know in what capacity he would have even done. I mean, he may, may very well have been just because he was right. like an entertainer. Oh, sure. Yeah. So yeah, probably yeah. wore many hats and all that. Mm-hmm. But he could have yeah. just been whacking spoons on his knee. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. The old spoon whacker. Spoon man. No. Um, that's a terrible. That's song. a Dylan song. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> <Okay>. man. <laughs> oh, that's Dylan. Yeah, that voice is Dylan. Okay. <laughs> to be fair, I only know that voice through Jimmy Fallon's impression of that voice. So. Right, 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 right. Well, I'm never going to know who Dylan is. I'm never going to know. <laughs> this would prove to be the beginning of a steady rise in popularity for Queskin and the boys. Thanks again to the guidance of Maynard Solomon. Mm-hmm. But as you know, things can mm-hmm. never be hunky-dory within the membership of any given band, Mm. especially when things seem to be going well. Mm -hmm. In this case, Mel Lyman was the odd man out. According to bandmate Jeff Mulder, Lyman was their spiritual leader while Jim Queskin was their show business leader. Okay. Subsequently, an offer for the band to sign with Warner Brothers Records did not impress Lyman in the least. Okay. As we learned in the Daikatana episode, (laughs) creativity is nice. People that get things done is also nice. That's you know, it's a winning combination, you might say. This doesn't feel right. 
<laughs> really? Do the really? do the clothes you're wearing feel right? Because you yeah. can buy more with money. <laughs> exactly. How's your tum tum full? Full of food? <laughs> you like that? Does that feel right? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Things apparently came to a head at the Newport Folk Festival in 1965. Okay. Now, for many a folk fan, this is a day that will live in infamy. Wow. For this is the day that Bob Dylan, mm -hmm. who does not sing Freebird, damn it, <laughs> stuck his middle finger uh -huh. right in the faces of his bespectacled, turtlenecked, uh -huh. intellectual uh -huh. masses of fans uh -huh. when he went electric. Whoa. I already like him more and I don't even know who he is. <laughs> Which is a, it is a dick move because I was watching just, you know, videos to mm -hmm. doing research and the, the yeah. Newport Folk Festival 1964, mm -hmm. it's him, acoustic guitar, little harmonica with the thing that holds it in front of your mouth. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And performing for just a sea of seated people like exactly the type i just described just listening right. very yep. quietly they want to hear some folk music so her for yep. him to come out a year later with a full band <laughs> and a fender strat like holy shit sweet home alabama <laughs> no um freebird and sweet home alabama are both by the same band really so you're that was lucky <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're on a track a track <laughs> okay. that's leonard skinner I'll, I'll i'll keep working on it okay okay, okay. <laughs> Bob Dylan's like blowing in the wind and the times they are a changing. Oh, okay. you know, it was chestnuts. Summer 69. Yeah. <laughs> really? No, that's Brian Adams. God damn it. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I've got, a, I've got like, a, I have like a big gap in my musical knowledge. There's, there's some stuff that I've gotten like really interested in and there's other stuff that has never Me too. Just crossed just, my desk. It's, it's yeah, exactly. It's, you know, there's strengths and then there's these big holes <laughs> where knowledge is supposed to be. We all have it. I have it for everything but music. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to embarrass me, ask me about anything that might be useful in everyday life. And then I'll be like, um, it's a government. No. So Bob goes electric. The fans mm -hmm. are pissed mm -hmm. to say the least. Wow. So Bob, Dylan is wrapping up his set. People are leaving. They're booing. Everything is very unsettled. At that point, Mel Lyman received what he describes as a divine message. Okay. It was, according to Lyman, like what Christ had to do before mounting the cross. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And then there was no cross, no death. And in case it's not clear. It's not. What he's describing here is after Bob Dylan had finished his set, left the stage, yeah. Mel takes center stage and played 10-minute harmonica solo. Oh, that is not the connect. No, I wouldn't have made that connection. No? No. 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 Me either, since that actually sounds like 10 minutes of hell on earth. Yeah. Also, did he just draw a parallel between a 10-minute harmonica solo and getting nailed to a cross? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, can carry on. I mean, it's there if you want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, the like 10 seconds of a harmonica is like, oh, all right. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> like guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. That's nice. Can you put it away? If you're ever at a coffee house and you see a guy like putting on that harmonica neck thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be outside until the next set. And then coffee to go. Yeah. <laughs> 
no offense to harmonica players. <laughs> <laughs> we think you're great. As far as Jim Queskin and the Jug Band's own performance goes, uh, Jeff Mulder feels that this was the breaking point for Lyman. Something to do with him wanting to play an overly long harmonic solo and the rest of the band stepping all over it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the reasons are not very clear, but this show would be the last that Lyman would play with the group. Okay. Upon his resignation, he would immediately begin work on a book titled The Autobiography of a World Savior. So he's modest. Yeah. I'm thinking his head was elsewhere at this point, not so much with the, the, the jug band. Thinking about other things. Bigger, bigger, <laughs> tackling bigger issues. Yes. This would mark the beginnings of an ambitious new movement, which Lyman was intent on spearheading. Okay began recruiting people to his cause using what modest fame he had at the time. The group took over a dilapidated series of houses along Fort Avenue Terrace in Boston. Mm-hmm. They moved in as squatters, but circumvented the law by completely renovating the mostly abandoned structures. Mm-hmm. His communal family, which included former bandmate Jim Queskin, mm-hmm. was small but growing steadily. Okay. Lyman would refer to himself as God, as would his followers hereby known as the Lyman family or the Fort Hill community. A cult. Then he started a cult. He started a cult. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good. Nice lickety Good. split, pretty much. I mean, Just didn't waste any time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, music's cool, but I think, yeah, I think uh, megalomania is where it's at. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the family's, the family, we're calling the family from... Oh, boy. Don't call them the family. <laughs> The Lyman family. Oh, good lord. Is that what he called them? Yeah. Was he aware of any other LA-based families? We'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) Good. Good. Can't seem to do a podcast without. (laughs) Jesus. Charlie is everywhere. Yeah, exactly. The family's ethos consisted of a combination of hippie commune living Mm -hmm. with a neo-transcendentalist socio-spiritual structure... Sorry, sorry, sorry I fell asleep. <laughs> we live in an anarcho-cynicalist commune. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what any of that means. Holy Grail, Monty Python. Oh yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Help, help! I'm being repressed. I'm being oppressed. <laughs> Come witness the violence inherent in the system. <laughs> we, I did that scene once in a high school drama class, and nobody laughed. What? We were, we were so bummed out. Ahead of your time, man. A little bit, yeah. A little too heady. For grade 11. Astute listeners, if you go back to our Black Death episodes, Mm. uh, one of them was super long and I put an intermission and the music that I used (laughs) was the intermission music from the Holy Grail. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Good callback. Okay, so they're they're that. And Lyman is their chosen messiah. Good. Great. However, a closer look at their practices would find them very much opposed to many of the hippie trademarks that were sort of to be found during that time. Okay. Members dressed conservatively with men wearing their hair short mm-hmm. and women discouraged from showing any skin. Oh, a cult. Okay. <laughs> Again, <laughs> a cult. Sexual activity too was very discouraged to a point where Lyman apparently ordered a member who had gotten pregnant to get an abortion. Oh boy. Uh-huh. So we've got controlling the dress, controlling the sex. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm going to put some bets down right now. There's going to be taking their money and there's going to be paranoia. Were you looking at my notes? Nope. I oh. just, <laughs> I've been interested in cults for a long time. What do you mean? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, women were expected to be obedient and serve in domestic capacities only mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. the men were expected to dominate and control them. Ah, 
private time between couples was discouraged as well. Quick question. Yes. Could Mel sleep with whoever he wanted to? You know, that never really came up. Oh, okay. Okay. So somehow he kept that opportunity in check. Gotcha. Okay. He was married throughout this. I can't say Mm. that he was faithful. Sure. Sure. And we've already established that he's a complete asshole, but Mm, mm, yeah, mm. that I never found anything, you know, to suggest that he was also a, a, what do you, what do you call Fucking philanderer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> I just know that word because of when Michael Scott tried to say philanthropist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> philanderer. But yeah, that's just, that would tick all of the cult exactly. boxes. The one but, thing yeah. missing. Their first endeavor after the renovations was a publication called Avatar. Okay. Dave Wilson, then editor of an American folk music magazine called Broadside, mm-hmm. was recruited to be the man in charge of Avatar. Okay. From Wilson's point of view, Avatar was a hip Christian science monitor. Nope. <laughs> you can tell when hip is in the title. Yeah. It contained local news, political and cultural essays, editorials, poetry, and photography from various members of the family. Okay. It garnered a national audience throughout its first year, even snagging a featured profile in Time Magazine, mm-hmm. resulting in quite a few visitors to Fort Hill community and some actually staying to become part of the family. Okay. And uh, you can actually, it wasn't very hard to find like screenshots of the covers of the magazine online and and some of the writings. Actually, the layout is quite impressive. Like it's quite beautiful. Mel Lyman was initially listed on the inside cover as simply one of many contributors. Okay. By issue 12, he would go by Warlock in Residence. Sorry, Warlock? I had a warlock in World of Warcraft for a long time. <laughs> that was like a mythical uh, sort of creature or a... Yeah, it's like a shaman kind of witch thing. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, okay. So he's a warlock, okay. He's a warlock. By the end of the magazine's run, his face was on every cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oprah Winfrey kind of thing. Yeah, right. The content of the magazine would as well become very Mel-focused and increasingly okay. out of step the prevailing hippie attitudes at the time, again, showing hints of megalomania and nihilism, all bathed in religious iconography. Oh, so this is a cult. <laughs> oh, do we not mention it's a cult? Okay. Oh, it's a, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe this will change your mind. I'll give you a okay, small probably. sample of a, a male-authored article. Okay. Just a few lines here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I am going to reduce everything that stands to rubble mm-hmm. and then I am going to burn the rubble mm-hmm. and then I am going to scatter the ashes mm-hmm. and then maybe someone will be able to see something. Those are the words that are in all caps. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As it really is. Watch out. <laughs> so what do we think he means there? <laughs> I really don't know, but that little stanza is basically why I'm doing this podcast, because it's really amazing. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Once the family gained complete editorial control over Avatar, it would consist predominantly of Mel's writings, wherein he, at various times, referred to himself as the living embodiment of truth, the greatest man in the world. Okay. Jesus Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. And an alien sent to Earth in human form by extraterrestrials. 
I'm beginning to think that this is a cult. <laughs> You're so cynical, you know. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, he was also a huge fan of the, uh, as I said, the all caps approach. Okay. Which, as we know, mm-hmm. is a guaranteed way not to come across as a complete lunatic and utter asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was was just going to say that capital letters are the vector of reasonable discourse. Exactly. It's like, what I'm saying is so important. Yeah. It's it's all caps. Just so you know, just in case there was any doubt. Oh, like like some caps? Like at the beginning of words? No, like the entire word. Oh, like all caps. Like you wanted to like jump off the page. Nothing but caps. Nothing but caps. I wonder if back then it was even... Why are you shouting at me? Or is that sort of a, <laughs> an internet thing <laughs> or a social media thing? One particular Avatar staff member, mm-hmm. a poet who went by the pseudonym Pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get here? Uh, we were talking about tub base. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're long gone from that. Oh, my God. I just thought the foremost washed up pieces yeah. was a funny thing. So good. So Pebbles developed something of uh, resentment towards Lyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, not being a member of the Lyman family himself, he dealt with members of the family on a regular basis. Okay. Their complete and total obedience to the will of Mel mm-hmm. had been a constant source of problems within the Avatar offices. Mm. One such incident involving an assistant editor correcting a typo that Mel had made in one of his articles only to have members of the family insist that the article be reprinted in the following issue with the typo intact because how dare she change the writings of God. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, boy. I don't know where we are in the story, but this is not not going well. It does not bode well. (laughs) At a certain point, Mr. Pebbles decided that he had had enough. Sorry, is it Pebbles or Mr. Pebbles? I added the Mr. I don't... Okay, fair enough. Because if it was Mr. Pebbles, it might be rock at that point. True. Like when you're that big, they call you Mr. And at that point, are you a rock or are you a pebble? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe his name is Rock Pebbles. <laughs> Nonetheless, he decided he had had enough and felt it was time to pay Mr. Lyman a visit. Hmm. He showed up at Fort Hill unannounced, marched past the group of hippies at the entrance, strumming their guitars. <laughs> They're guarding, I don't know, undeterred by their admonishment that Nobody visits Mel. Mel visits you. <laughs> no. Nope. Just like saying that as he's walking by, not even <laughs> yeah, listening. He's like, hey, where are you going? Ha- stomp, oh, stomp, stomp. It's too far. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, man. Let's play Freebird again. <laughs> <laughs> that Dylan song. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I love it. Uh, and he barged into Mel's boudoir. Mm-hmm. Ignoring Mel's yelling wife, Pebbles got right up in Mel's grill. Mm-hmm. And proceeded to argue with him. Okay, that's not the way I thought that was going to go. No. <laughs> Just no. delicious. I'm gonna give him a stern talking Change to. Change of words. Yeah. <laughs> the crux of said exchange apparently being Pebbles' mic drop moment. Mm-hmm. How dare you call yourself God when I am God and a greater God than you, Mel Lyman. Oh, so there's there's no good guy in this. <laughs> no, that nobody's the winner there. No, I think uh, just two losers really. <laughs> least of all, everyone around these people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh God. Nevertheless, with his security breach, 
and his superiority questioned, mm-hmm. Mel came forth with clear instructions for the family. Build me a wall. Sorry, what? Build me a wall. Build me a wall. Yeah. That sounds familiar. I was trying to get the voice right. Right. No, that's that's cool. That's yeah. cool. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Wait. There might even I'm beginning to think that there's more than one cult in this story. <laughs> <laughs> what? So from that moment forward, the family's focus shifted away from Avatar and they put all their efforts into ensuring that no harm would come to God. Oh. AKA Melon. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Every member of the family rallied to the project of building a stone security fence around the perimeter of the Fort Hill community. Mm-hmm. Okay. Avatar editor David Wilson, meanwhile, was relieved to be rid of Mel's sleepy, disconnected followers and for the first time in months, published an issue of the magazine that did not contain Lyman's face on the cover nor hmm. any of his writings within its pages. But how are they going to get any readers without any capital letters? <laughs> I know. <laughs> All its punch is gone. No one's going to pay attention. You need to yell at people. Well, didn't make any difference because hmm. the night before the issue was to be sent out for distribution, hmm. a van pulled up to the Avatar headquarters. Hmm. Several Lyman family members exited and proceeded to confiscate all 30,000 issues of the Lyman Devoid publication. Okay. The issues were stored in a tower at Fort Hill and later sold as scrap paper. Okay. Yeah. That'll do it. Just (laughs) wasted a lot of paper. Exactly. (laughs) Like sold as scrap. Like how do you sell scrap paper? That's weird. Just be giving it away. So one explanation as to why... Mel Lyman inspired such devotion in his followers uh-huh. and why they viewed him as God could be the... That's a cult? Because it's a cult. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the nature of the cult was rooted in these therapy sessions oh boy. he would conduct with new recruits. All right, then. Here's the part where I talk about LSD. Okay. <laughs> I, I knew it was coming. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ironically enough, the episode where I talk about Woodstock... Yeah. I never mentioned LSD once. No LSD. Yeah. I mean, it was Woodstock 50, but still. <laughs> I feel like funny. in that case, it would have just come up as like an LSD flashback, maybe. Yeah, maybe. So Mel would take a prospective member in, in a private audience and dose them with 1,500 micrograms of LSD. Is that a lot? I don't know. Okay. It's it's like a, it's I think it's what you would call a heavy dose. Okay. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I can't. Listeners. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He would proceed to film, record, question, and study the subject for hours at a time, hmm. capping the experience off with having said subject join one of his Lyman family group sings, hmm. which involve peace, love, togetherness, and all that jazz. He's basically programming these people as best that he could. Uh huh. Also, he's videotaping this. You said. Yep. Keeping the videotapes. One would imagine so. Yeah. Probably not asking impersonal questions yeah so uh if all else fails you got you got some sweet sweet blackmail material there you go you got the goods Uh (laughs) Mm uh-huh it's not a cult however lyman's sites were not set on your average hippie dropouts for potential membership Mm -hmm. his thought was that the higher profile a family member had the better it was for furthering their cause okay two such members being former kennedy speechwriter owen delong Mm -hmm. and george peeper the assistant to CBS president, Don West. Okay. So now we'll talk about a guy named Mark Frechette. Okay. Now, Mark Frechette 
a high school dropout, came upon an issue of Avatar while panhandling and picking up odd jobs around Boston. He became intrigued by Mel's writings and solicited the family for membership. But as he was basically a nobody, he was turned down. Hmm. Shortly after this, a casting director spotted Frechette engaged in an argument with a woman at a bus stop. And so the story goes, cast him in the lead role of Michelangelo Antonioni's work in progress, Zabriskie Point. Okay. It's a movie. Sounds vaguely familiar, but right, maybe yeah, I'm just you, making that up. Sure. Upon hearing through the grapevine that Frechette had landed this role, mm-hmm. Lyman rethought his initial position of telling Frechette to fuck right off and instead <laughs> <laughs> welcomed him into the fold. Okay. Yeah. Frechette, so enamored with all things Mel, turned around and got his Zabriskie Point co-lead, Daria Halprin, down with Team Lyman. Mm -hmm. Daria was, like Mark Frechette, uh, an unknown before being cast in the film. Antonioni spotted her in the documentary Revolution, a film about the hate Ashbury hippie scene. Hey, we heard about that. In? In Altamont Free Altamont, that's how it outs. Yes. (laughs) Check that out. Tragedy Tuesday. You can't get one by you, Peter. No, 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 no. I'm paying attention. See, I'm learning about music. <laughs> nice. Freebird. Freebird. <laughs> um, yeah, he was seduced by her earth child quality. So hmm. that's two relatively high profile gets for the family. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending, probably fortunately, uh, Frechette was <laughs> unable to convince Antonioni of Mel Lyman's an omnipotent greatness despite leaving copies of avatar in the director's trailer on a daily basis who keeps leaving this fucking garbage in my trailer <laughs> what the hell is this shit i wipe my ass with it <laughs> exactly yeah. mark for oh here's your part mark for mm-hmm. was paid sixty thousand dollars for his work on zabriskie point okay daria halperin not sure exactly what she made but the two pooled their earnings and turned it over to the Lyman family in full. Just going to get my pen out and put a check mark here. <laughs> That's, uh, we're crossing off the list. Filling up this, uh, cult column. There pretty, we go. Pretty effectively. Yep. 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 Many of the trappings of your average cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, many members of the family took jobs within the quote outside world, hmm. uh, waiters, baristas, also, the way the way you know you're in a cult <laughs> is you call it the outside world. Yeah, that's another check right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they would use that money to fill the coffers of the Lyman Family Trust. Mm. Uh, this money was then invested in real estate or construction ventures that helped create an elaborate empire, a legacy of assets that remain to this day. Hmm. Now, uh, Zabriskie Point was a film being made by famous Italian director, Michelangelo Antonioni, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was dogged by controversy leading up to its release. Mm-hmm. An impression was given that Antonioni's depiction of American counterculture was reportedly quite anti-establishment with illicit drugs, mm-hmm. group sex, and the killing of cops all being glorified. Okay. Once it was revealed that the wife of leading Black Panther member Eldridge Cleaver was cast in a scene, mm-hmm. The U.S. government began attempts at sabotaging the production, charging Antonioni with violating the Mann Act, okay. claiming he was bringing underage girls across state lines for immoral acts. Hmm. Despite these various interventions by the feds, the film got made. Okay. Following that, Frechette and Daria were whipped up into the press junket to promote the film. 
Now, Mark Frechette was, by all accounts, very uncooperative as he felt all the trappings of Hollywood and show business were crap. Okay. He's in the right line of work. (laughs) (laughs) So there are two appearances that Mark Frechette made on two different TV talk shows that are both now sort of infamous. Okay. Uh, The first being on the Merv Griffin show where he appeared alongside Abby Hoffman. Okay. Uh, Abby Hoffman was at the time the leader of the Youth International Party or Yippie movement. Oh boy. And these are basically like super political hippies who get involved in protests and whatnot. So, you know. Yep. Just need a better name, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not great. (laughs) So Hoffman wore a shirt depicting the American flag, Mm -hmm. which the network felt as he was probably doing so ironically or whatever. Uh, yep. that they get into hot water over that. So they blacked oh, it out. Okay. I couldn't find video of this, but apparently it's just basically his head on top of a black square. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so happens that when they cut to commercial, one of the ads featured Roy Rogers wearing the exact same shirt right. as Abby Hoffman. Although in his case, it was okay for sure. Like genuine. Right. Yeah. yeah. But this apparently caused quite a stir backstage, uh, resulting in Mark Frechette punching one of the guests in the face. Okay. Future Bush and Reagan speechwriter Tony Dolan. Oh, okay. So that's one. Hmm. The other infamous appearance took place when both Mark Frechette and Daria Halpern appeared on the Dick Cavett show, which you can watch online on, on YouTube. And it's really awkward. <laughs> so Dick is, um, he's like hobnobbing with his other guests, uh, Mel mm-hmm. Brooks and Rex Reed. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it's like, please welcome from Zabriskie Point, Mark Frechette and Daria Halperin. And they just come like yeah. slunking out from behind the curtain, yeah. like much the way you would look walking towards your bed <laughs> before you're okay. about to sleep for eight hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's super stunted conversation. One, one word answers. Yeah. Dick Cavett and Mel Brooks are both making light of it in a very kind of show business kind of way, like dead air is just death. So they're trying to keep it moving yeah. and keep it light. Yeah, yeah, right. And these yeah. guys are just not biting. Um, but one of the very few things they say of substance has to do where Dick Cavett introduces them to two people who live on a commune mm-hmm. and Mark Frechette corrects him and says, it's not a commune, it's a community. And he goes on to say, the purpose of the community is to serve our leader, Mel Lyman. Okay. <laughs> but at least he's, showed some restraint and didn't refer to him as God. Right, so right, that, right, right, that. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 1971, Rolling Stone associate editor David Felton was given exclusive access to the Fort Hill community. Mm-hmm. The article described an authoritarian and dysfunctional environment complete with an elite karma squad of, <laughs> of oh, ultra-loyalists. Yeah, I bet they administered a lot of karma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of instant karma. Mm-hmm. They were put in place to enforce Lyman's discipline, which included the vault. Okay. A walled-in area devoid of light deep within the Lyman bunker for disobedient family members. Sorry, just getting my pen out here to check off another cult (laughs) checkbox here. Literal prison. (laughs) Yeah. Felton also made note of bulletins sent down by Lyman containing weirdly specific yet cryptic rules pertaining to diet, sleeping habits, and personal hygiene. One example being to bathe less than once, but more than twice a week is sick. Okay. So 
similar philosophy to 14th or pre 14th century Europe. And that didn't really <laughs> go true. too well either. Yeah. So you saw how that worked out. <laughs> yeah. Following quote from Jim Queskin also appeared in the article. The only difference between us and the Manson family is that we don't go around preaching peace and love and we haven't killed anyone yet. Um, <laughs> uh, it's likely he was joking. Um, However, <laughs> read the room. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to get tone and inflection across and yeah typeface also as the internet like, is maybe talking. he was joking but you're gonna take that chance fbi <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe he was joking but it's likely many took him seriously mm-hmm. how weird in fact there are many comparisons to the manson family throughout the article mm-hmm. so obviously the manson murders occurring just two years prior they're still fresh right yeah uh shook america to its core so, not surprisingly, after the publication of the Rolling Stone article, the family's notoriety had been raised even further and comparisons between Lyman and Manson were being drawn. Right. Lyman was quickly gaining a reputation as a bizarre and possibly dangerous individual. As for Lyman himself, he was beside himself with anger at the article, shocked that David Felton would perceive any of their practices as abnormal. Okay. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Sorry, is this the article with the vault? That's the one with the vault and the karma okay, cool. police or whatever it was. Nothing weird going on here. Yep. Not at all. Another day of the family. Daria Halpern left the family in 1972. She moved to mm-hmm. California, met, fell in love with, and married Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. It was always assumed that Halpern became a member of the Lyman family simply to support Mark Frechette, who she started a relationship with during the filming of Zabriskie Point. So I know that it's important to support your friends in their endeavors. <laughs> yeah. You ever join a cult? I'm not following you in, Lee. No. What if your wife joined a cult? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's your significant other, that's a whole other ball of whack. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, my boyfriend says it's cool, so I guess I'll go. And the other thing is, that's how cults get you. It's boiling a frog. You know what I mean? They do it slowly. Mm, that's right. It's like one step at a time, just like, oh, you know, just get, just give me some of your money. And then, oh, just, just give me all of your money. Before you and know then, it. like, let me control some parts of your life. And then let me control all parts of your life. <laughs> How about all? Just let me control all. I know better than you. Until you're at that point where it's like, well, like, I can't go back now because if I say, if I acknowledge that I've just wasted the last 10 years of my life on something completely false, then that's almost worse. I mean, I don't want to look like an idiot. Hmm. People think I'm a... Better keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to commit. Ooh, flavor aid. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, that brings us back to Mark Frechette. Okay. He was loyal as ever to the Lyman cause, mm-hmm. doing what he could, whenever he could, to uphold Lyman's definitions of honesty and reality. Mm-hmm. Together with fellow members Christopher Thine and Terry Bernhard, mm-hmm. while watching the Watergate hearings, a plan was hatched. Okay. The plan was a plan of protest. Okay. And the particular act of protest was to rob a bank. Okay. Frechette's reasoning was that since banks are federally insured, Mm -hmm. it was basically like they would be robbing Richard Nixon himself. Oh, perfect. Yeah, that's fine. Makes sense. No, It's the next best thing to taking the wallet out of his pocket. Furthermore, Frechette claimed, and besides, standing there with a gun, cleaning out a teller's cage, that's about as fucking honest as you can get, man! (sighs) No. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) you're a fucking moron that's more honest yeah that's yep mm-hmm. that's more to the point oh my god okay so august 29 1973 mm-hmm. Rochette 
and Thine and Bernhard attempted to rob the New Merchants Bank in the Fort Hill section of Roxbury. Mm-hmm. Christopher Thine was shot several times and killed by Boston police during the holdup. Oh my God, okay. Mm-hmm. It went badly. <laughs> Mark Frechette and Terry Bernhard were arrested and pleaded guilty, mm-hmm. with Frechette being sentenced to a term of 6 to 15 years in prison, which he was to serve at Norfolk State Prison. Okay. Still motivated by the Watergate scandal, Frechette staged a play mm-hmm. called The White House Transcripts <laughs> based on a television special of the same name. I wonder how that went down with the, the general population. <gasps> oh, shit, a play. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? Dude, do you want to fucking kill this guy after he's done? <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> oh. Maybe they just were starved for entertainment and they love yeah, it. Yeah, probably. Terry Bernhard played the part of Nixon while Mark Frechette directed. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, political notables Michael Dukakis and Ted Kennedy mm-hmm. were among the audience of inmates. They weren't inmates, but they were there uh, when the play was performed. <laughs> they were not in jail at the time. Someone didn't read it in enough detail. They thought it was like a there was like a briefing on Watergate or yeah, something. Right. Or like a debrief. <laughs> what? What do you say? It's a play? <laughs> what the hell are we doing here? Uh, Mark Frechette died in prison on September 27th, 1975. Okay. He was found in the prison recreation room with a 150 pound barbell sitting on his throat. So an accident. Yeah. The cause of death was given. Question mark. Suffocation and police officials did not suspect any foul play. That's why I always use a spotter. Always get a spot. Yeah. Don't be a hero. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't be macho about it. No. Just ask for the spot. Yeah. Get that spot. Mm-hmm. Save your life. Also, maybe don't go to prison. Or don't go to... Yeah, don't rob a bank. There's a foreign protest. Step one. The best advice is don't go to prison. Don't the second prison. best advice, get is, a spot. Get a spotter. The third yeah. is don't join a cult. Yeah, don't join a cult. Maybe that's number one. <laughs> maybe that's oh, number boy. one. There's, there's so many. Oh, oh, boy. If only we'd been around in his life <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Set him straight. <laughs> so these compounding problems... I'm wrapping up now. Mm-hmm. These compounding problems, those being a tarnished reputation due to Mark Frechette's arrest and death, mm-hmm. the Rolling Stone article, and a perceived alliance with the Manson family, yep. thanks to the Rolling Stone article, yep. along with financial woes and splitting factions, the ultimate result was that Mel Lyman's self-created world was now crumbling. Oh, boy. In 1980, it was reported by members of the Fort Hill community that Lyman had died of an undisclosed illness in 1978 at age 40. Okay. Death certificate was never provided, nor were details of the cause of death or what became of his remains. Hmm. No legal investigation was undertaken. An anonymous family member reported to the press that Lyman had purposefully overdosed on drugs in Los Angeles, California sometime in 1978 Hmm. following a long illness. Mm -hmm. The Lyman Trust continued to thrive with members using the skills they'd acquired in refurbishing the family compound towards various construction and real estate endeavors. Okay. However, these were carried out completely distanced from any ties with the Lyman family. They would eventually become known as the Fort Hill Construction Company with Jim Queskin still to this day mm-hmm. acting as head of the company operating as just another family business. Right. <laughs> kind of a weird uh, avenue for a cult to sort of veer into the legit business. Like that's usually... <laughs> It's it's nice of him because like again knowing how some other cults end, yeah. it's nice of him to to just die on his own. That's I guess other than along with the um, not being a 
a philanthropist. The, <laughs> the one thing yeah, you can say yeah. for the guy, he didn't Jim Jones it, you know. He didn't No. He didn't definitely uh, did not. David Koresh it. So way to go, Mel Lyman. That's that's it. No, I got one more thing to say. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost it. Many former members are unwilling to discuss their time within the Fort Hill community. Mm-hmm. Richie Gurin, a longtime family member, had the following to say about Mel. Mm-hmm. Presumably, this is recently. There is no doubt in my mind that Mel is the creator. He's the center of creation. He makes me feel the spirit. He is next to God, if not God himself. And although I feel that, I wrestle with it. The end. I think... I think this might have been a cult. Just looking at my list. <laughs> looking at my list of things here. I think this might have been a cult, Lee. I don't know. Well, what do you think? you've got the list. Yeah. And if you check, I mean, the list, the answers are right there. It's right there. It's a, I, think, I think this was a cult. It's the ultimate litmus test for is it or is it not a cult? <laughs> so so that's how we go from wash to base. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long and to ugly road. <laughs> bank robberies and holy crap. Yeah. I guess the moral of the story is don't play or listen to bluegrass. Yeah. Wash tub bass music. No, d- don't do that. Don't no. do that. Yeah. Certainly don't play the harmonica. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can only lead to horrible, horrible circumstances. That was a disaster. Yeah. That was awesome. And Thank that was a disaster. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. So Lee, you got some music to go with that? Well, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just go with the obvious and then I'll let you sort of provide the variety, but, uh, I'm going sure. with the selection from Jim Queskin and the Jug Band. Hey, that's where it all when started. Mel Lyman was, uh, where back <laughs> when it all started and I'm yeah. going to go with Jug Band Music. <laughs> that's what it's called? Yep. From the album Amazing. Jug Band Music. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> As I mentioned, this is not my cup of tea, but, you know, it's, it's kind of neat. It's kind of interesting because yeah. it's it's trying very hard to be the sort of turn-of-the-century uh, Americana, you know, music played on these homemade instruments. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting. It's definitely somebody's cup of tea in a big way, like lots of people. Right. Not mine. Yeah, yeah. Over to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so for me... I kind of knew the sort of ballpark of where we were going, I guess. All right. So I went with, uh, are you familiar with the Statler brothers? I am not. Does that ring a bell? So they were kind of like a country gospel, Southern gospel kind of band uh, from Ooh. the fifties. Okay. And cool. I guess they're actually, they were active up until 2002, I suppose. Okay. Um, but the song that I picked, and I think it does actually fit, it, it would kind of fit as background music to this whole story, I think. Yeah. Songs called Flowers on the Wall. Uh-huh. I don't know if that rings a bell. They were on the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Okay. So I probably would You'd recognize, recognize it. it. Yeah. But again, the reason that I picked it is that it's it sounds a little bit it's kind of like maybe if you don't like bluegrass per se, it, uh-huh. it feels like kind of jug band adjacent kind of right. music, especially this track. Okay. Like the kind of music that maybe Mel Lyman's band would have played potentially uh-huh. Uh-huh. on their instruments. But yeah. It's really, and I've, I've loved this song forever. Oh, cool. Like, I think I've, I don't know if I've told the story before on this podcast of how I went to, I went to Europe with my parents when I was like 13. Yeah. And I bought a portable CD player for the trip. Right. And I didn't know that CD wallets existed. So I only had room in the case for like <laughs> three CD, four <laughs> CDs, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I brought the Mission Impossible soundtrack, <laughs> the Hackers soundtrack. <laughs> 
was it only three? Maybe it was only three. I think it was Mission Impossible soundtrack, Hacker soundtrack, and the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. <laughs> oh, no. And the fourth one was the X-Files soundtrack for the TV show. <laughs> nice. And in, the interesting thing about that is that's the first time I'd ever heard of the Foo Fighters because they did a cover of Down in the Park. Oh, a two-boy army. Complete tangent. But basically, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack was one of four CDs. And ever since that trip, like 23 years ago now, yeah, 24 years ago, I have had, like, I still have those four CDs memorized. <laughs> I know every song on each one. I've listened uh, to each one like a dozen times on that trip. It was so good. Well, so anyway, Fiction is a good soundtrack. It's a solid soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. So cool. Flowers on the Wall by the Statler Brothers. For nice. Me. Cool. Okay. Well, that was a disaster. And thanks, Lee, for following Thank up you. on that article that I purposely didn't read because I knew <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd tell it better than I could read it. Well, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so... If you like what you heard today, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell someone to listen to the podcast. And like I mentioned at the beginning, you can do that in a public way on all the social media platforms and tag us at this disaster pod and we'll enter you in a draw for super exclusive one of a kind merch. Awesome. So from now until the end of August, if you tell your followers to listen to us on a Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and you tag us at this disaster pod, then uh, we'll enter you in a draw. And then in early September, we'll do the draw and send some sweet merch your way. The next best thing you can do if you're not already subscribed is to subscribe wherever you listen and leave a rating or review on, uh, I think Apple Podcasts is the best place to do that to help us get noticed. If you want everything in one convenient place, you can check out our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. Also our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod for tons of bonus content, including micro disasters every two weeks and live streams of our major disasters and lots of little things and some other things that are coming down the pipeline. So I think that's, that's it. Uh, that's all I had to say. Lee, got anything to add? I just want to say that everyone should check out the Watchmen series on HBO. I'm watching it for the second time mm. and it is so good. I've heard good things. Oh man, for fans and non-fans alike. And it is very mm. relevant, <laughs> more so than ever to what is happening in this crazy shitty world today. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, maybe I'll come back to that. I'll check oh, yeah. that out. Oh yeah, I've had it recommended a few times. Last thing you recommended to me was the terror, and I'm loving that. So, oh, how far in are you? Yeah, I'm like two episodes. Okay, okay. Uh, it's it's slow going because that's okay. I got anyway, but it's it's getting there. It's awesome. Nice, cool. Okay, well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in our next disaster. Bye. Bye.